Welcome to the Placing Culture Podcast. I'm Sean Houston. On Placing Culture, I feature conversations about current work in geography and related fields in the arts, sciences, and humanities. In this episode, I talk to Laura Sharp and Shelby Smith, both graduate students in the School of Geography and Development at the University of Arizona, and also editors of the current issue of You Are Here, the Journal of Creative Geography. We start our conversation by talking about the journal and the theme for the current issue, which is montage. Before we begin, though, a quick note, I do have an article in this issue of the journal. Lauren Shelby, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. We're really excited to do this. So to begin with, I think talking about the journal and how it got started and what it's about would be useful. Uh, Shelby, if you wanted to get us going on that topic, that would be, that would be great. Yeah, of course. The Journal of Creative Geography was started in, I believe, 1999 through um, graduate students at the University of Arizona. I believe that the original purpose was to get other grad students and people on campus thinking about concepts of space and place through art, which wasn't something that was necessarily being done, at least in our department at the time. Uh, most of the original solicitations and calls were primarily on campus asking other grad students to sort of reconceptualize and think about the things that they were writing about analytically and theoretically from a different perspective. From there, it's published annually now. We primarily look for fiction, poetry, um, artistic versions or renderings of maps and photographs that look at space and place. Every year, there's a different team of editors. They're always grad students. And one of the reasons for that is to ma- maintain a variety, right? So the way that geography is so great is that it covers so many different interesting topics. So we've had, we've had an issue on health. We've had an issue on borders, on dislocation and memory, on sensing. Laura is our first film geographer, which is really great to think about it through montage. So every year it sort of takes art and culture in place and thinks about it through different sort of lens of geographic thought. What kind of support does the journal have from the university? Well, not much. We solicit funds in order to get it printed and keep it going every year, which has actually been relatively successful. Um, The College of Social and Behavioral Sciences pays the editors a small stipend, so we're able to take time to do it. But most of the funding for things like printing come from fundraising that the editors do. Okay. So you mentioned that most of the issues are themed and that the current theme is montage. And Laura, as a film geographer, I gather you had um, probably a significant contribution to selecting that theme. Could you say more about how you chose that? as the focus for this issue? Yeah, so as soon as I decided that I wanted to participate in editing the journal, I pretty much knew that I thought montage was going to be a really great topic. Two things got me really thinking about montage, and one was that I had a friend who had, um, I had helped him edit a paper about montage in comic books, and that really got me thinking about how montage could be mobilized to think about different mediums other than cinema. And then I also read Dolan Clark's paper, I think it's an environment and planning deal called After Images, 
And that's where they, they sort of take on Jillian Rose's 2003 paper where she talks about in what way is geography visual. And they say, well, human geography is primarily an issue of montage. And they go through uh, political economy and cartography and a few other sort of sub-disciplines and show how human geographers have always been interested in montage without really calling it that. And so one of the things that I really liked about that paper was that it's a combination of how cinema is montage, but how human geography is montage. We really wanted contributions that expressed geography through, you know, montage as an editing, you know, as a means of editing, but also that tried to sort of express this idea that human geography is already a montage and then to sort of open that up with all of these different uh, media forms to say, okay, so starting from the idea that human geography or that our experience of place is already a montage effect, where, you know, how can we express that, you know, through all of these different forms that we have? And so we sort of tried to move away from, or at least augment the traditional textual essay format for different means. And so we did that a little bit in this issue, especially by taking it online. That helped a lot. But it still really is primarily textual, and that's, you know, that's not a problem. So the idea here is that montage is more a way of seeing or engaging with the world than a particular technique that's unique to film alone. You know, when we're walking around the world, we're looking, but we can only see a certain scene in front of us. You can think about that as the frame, but there's always the implied geography that's out of frame or the geography that's going to be in the frame at any given moment in terms of how we are able to see in terms of our ideas about other places that we think about ourselves at a certain scale and that there's geographies at other scales and we know they exist even though they're out of frame at the moment and we sort of there's always that constant sort of the unseen that correlates to the what we're actually seeing and then you know you can think about things in terms of representation and like cartography and, you know, that already has a long history of thinking about it as a collage or a bricolage, uh, which, has, you know, as Harriet Hawkins points out in one of our essays, really it does relate to montage and that sort of, you know, that it's a selective storytelling and you have to decide what goes in and what goes out. Yeah, no, I think that's helpful. I mean, it's kind of like the idea of thinking about engaging in place as either a series of cuts between different scenes or like life as a tracking shot. As you're moving through a landscape, you know, you're also changing or reframing what it is that you're seeing or the scene that you're in. At least that's sort of what I get from Dolan Clark's writing. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the impression that I get. I know it can be hard to understand everything that they write. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did the theme work as a way of organizing the contributions that you were collecting for the, for the issue? I think one of the things that we wanted to do that hadn't been done before in the journal is to create this online media component. Right, we felt like if we were going to use the theme of montage, we should certainly solicit or ask for films or media pieces as something that hadn't been done in the journal before. The other thing 
I think that we tried to do, which has historically been the way that You Are Here is Gone, is it's actually been primarily poetry, which partially I think had to do with things like printing costs and what was able, things like photographs weren't necessarily cost effective for the limited grad budget that we had. But we really wanted to make sure that the journal that we produce is really visual since so much of montage is looking at images and their juxtaposition. So when we actually put out our call, we were then originally surprised that we didn't get a lot of contributions right away. Yeah, or we the were, ones that we got were not, um, we couldn't really tell that they had even read the call or had understood it, which is not... Um, not surprising necessarily because yeah. it, it is pitched. It's a very, it's a very small concept in geography to pitch to a lot of people that have never thought about it that way. Which, at first, was a little disheartening, but I actually think it worked to our favor at the end because we started to think of well, how can we make this work? And Laura had the idea of actually soliciting pieces from geographers who are interested in film geography and montage and thinking about well how can we not just have artists interpret or write about these concepts but how can we put them into conversation with geographers who are writing about them. And I think that really was one of the big, in addition to taking it online, the soliciting pieces from geographers was actually one of the big changes because Really, it was mostly poetry and prose writing by people that don't identify as geographers, which is great because everyone has, you know, an experience of place and that needs to be voiced or, you know, we enjoy listening to those voices. But also I think that geographers have been really, or, you know, academics in general have been really limited in the vehicles that they have for delivering their ideas. It's, you know, really focused on these peer-reviewed journal articles and research reports. And so I think it's really interesting, and I hope that the future editors continue to do this, that by soliciting creative work by geographers, it really gives them an avenue to, you know, play with ideas and be a little bit more creative and not have to worry about, you know, getting really scrutinized and... I mean, they're scrutinized, they're read, but bringing some fun into it and bringing that creative aspect that's often lost. So that actually opens up a whole series of questions. Um, but one would be the, the editorial process of looking at geographic work by non-geographers. I mean, I understand that historically a lot of the contributions to the journal and to this issue were by poets or artists, or one of your contributions is from a landscape architect, you know, people working in different fields and with different kinds of media. As geographers, how do you approach evaluating work that addresses topics that are relevant to work that you're also accustomed to, but maybe is in forms or media that, that you're not? It was really interesting we had a, an undergraduate intern working for us over the course of this who's part of the creative writing department and he identifies as a poet and so when we were going through the editorial process and looking over the submissions laura and i were really interested in content right like what these poems are actually trying to tell us about space or place or montage 
Whereas our intern coming from this creative writing background was more interested in the form of what was being composed or what was what we had, right? So what kinds of stanzas they were. And we had really differing opinions about what made a good poem or what made a good essay or even, you know, the, the lighting or the use of um, techniques and the photos were really different. I think that for us, that actually worked out really well to have two people who are looking at it from this sort of theoretical or analytical frame of montage and geography, you know, in collaboration with someone who identifies and does work as an artist, because I think we both saw things that the other one would have missed in terms of what what mm -hmm. fit or what made sense to put in the journal. Yeah, you know, I actually struggled a little bit because I don't, you know, poetry is not one of the forms of expression that I'm naturally inclined to really enjoy so it was kind of hard for me to be like you know I don't I can't tell a good poem from a bad poem so you know I really was like well how does this relate to the theme like what are they trying to accomplish with this and so it really did help to have uh his name was Timon 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 Comsey Comsey yeah and it helped to have Timon on there a lot yeah. And, you know, we had a pretty significant drop, I think, in submissions from previous issues. I think the Making Sense issue before us had four or five hundred submissions, and yeah. we got about 150. And so in previous issues, they've actually had an editorial board made up of other grad students or professors or people around campus to actually help with the process. But... I think when we began the, the solicitation from geographers, we kind of decided that we would be the ones making the decision. Yeah, to the theme. it was like we had a pretty specific vision of what we were looking for, whereas editors in the past had had, you know, a call that was three or four lines long, so really open-ended to interpretation. And then, and then they would go through, and the past issues had been about 10, 10 contributions total for a total of you know 50 pages but when I when we really started looking at the pieces that we got and we you know we just picked the ones that we liked and that really fit the the endeavor and so we ended up with something like 30 selected in the end which was much larger than any other issue that had been in the past so it's it's kind of interesting in that way that we got fewer submissions but we chose, I feel like we got higher quality submissions, so we chose more. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. And then having a much larger journal and asking for so many visual components was also part of the reason why we chose to go online, because when we realized how much it would cost to print and <laughs> sort of how, how few copies we could actually probably afford, we thought, you know, if we put it online, we could actually really reach a much broader audience, and it would allow us and future editors to have much more leeway and creativity in what they choose. Yeah, and I think that this year's editor, Fiona Gladstone, um, I think I've heard her say that she's not even going to attempt to print because the print, it just runs into all sorts of problems. Not only is it expensive, but it really doesn't facilitate dissemination in a way that the online form does. So we're happy that we're, we are getting the journal printed. It's being printed right now, finally. Uh, but that online format really did help and will mm -hmm. help.
don't know why it keeps coming back to the the online. So <laughs> it's our big future contribution. Yeah, we're excited about that. <laughs> well, I was gonna. That was one of the other questions that the previous answer had opened up for me, which was, you know, is the online publishing? Do you think where the journal is going to be published from here on out? And you know, obviously, you had the multimedia aspect of this issue driving that decision. You know, what are the considerations? You mentioned costs, but and open access. You know, are those the kinds of things that might be driving the decision to make this more of a permanent part of what the journal does? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the past the past issues, we as the editors can't even get our hands on some of those issues because they were printed a limited release of between fifty and a hundred copies total. They were never, you know, we don't have the PDFs of them. We don't have any, just any records of them. They were sold, and we don't have any copies left. And now those are never going to probably ever circulate again. And so that, to me, is just, you know, that's not really the purpose of a journal. The purpose is to, like, share these ideas. And I, for one, am really an advocate of open access, that we shouldn't keep research in these privately held journals uh, that are only accessed by university employees. So that's also one of the reasons that when we sent the final the final version out to the contributors, we said, you know, please disseminate this in whatever format you want. I know that a lot of people have put it up on their website for download, put it up on their academia.edu or their research gate. You know, and I think that's I think that's great. Were there any concerns? Because I think that academic publishing and academics are struggling with issues of uh, peer review and what different formats mean for the perceived legitimacy of journals, you know, the sense that hard, tangible, traditional journals still represents uh, a higher standard of publishing than something that anyone can just find online. Were those concerns that you guys talked about at all when deciding to do online or digital publishing? No, but I don't think that right at the moment you are here has, you know, it's not known at all. So it doesn't really have to deal with those issues of legitimacy because it, I feel like at the moment it's almost, you know, it's not recognized. So it can't go anywhere. It can't go anywhere but up in terms of like gaining that kind of validation. But I also feel like that kind of that kind of idea that, you know, we should be ri- I don't know, the whole ranking of journals and attempting to get that highest ranking journal with the highest number of citations and that only, you know, these these certain kinds of papers are valuable for getting recognized if you're going onto the market or being recognized if you're pursuing tenure. It's not a defunct model, but I would like to see it that way and I would be happy to challenge that sort of system. That includes doing more things with multimedia. That you know, I think Jessica Jacobs has a paper trying to get, like, turn video into a geographic a method of geographic research dissemination, and that people are saying, you know, how could this be critical enough? How could this be, you know, reflexive enough? And it's not that it's impossible. It's just that we haven't had a big enough conversation to talk about how how to do that like we haven't been trained in visual literacy or you know 
audio literacy. I've never heard of anyone talk about that, but it's possible. Yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me, we had a speaker come in a few weeks ago that Laura and I organized with um, another grad student, Carly Randall Amster, who teaches at Georgetown. He's not a geographer, but he wrote a book called Peace Ecology, and he was talking a lot about how important public scholarship is and how important different forms of dissemination are. Someone asked him a question about, well, how do you feel about when you write an op-ed piece or you post on the Huffington Post or you publish in all these other forms as opposed to publishing in an academic journal? And it was really interesting to hear him and other people, I think, in our department. It was sort of like this open forum conversation about how especially I think with the shifting to online forms of learning or different mediums that um, public scholarship are thinking differently about what it means to be an academic is really important. You know, I think using poetry or art or putting the two together in forms that aren't just the annals, not to, not that there's anything wrong with the annals. I wish I had a published yeah, paper in the annals, yeah. right? But that it speaks a lot more to, I think, community engagement and sort of broader engagement outside of, of university walls. Yeah, and I think our department in particular, Arizona, is very focused on that public scholarship that we have a lot of conversations at colloquiums and just, you know, hanging out about, you know, what can we do to take this we call it what the the low walls, the low walls of academia that we really are engaged in that public aspect of it. And I, I think that does reflect in that there are tensions on people saying like, oh, you're not publishing enough. It's like, well, I am publishing. I'm just not publishing in the places you think I should be. Like, oh, I got a, a thing on the internet. And it's like, yeah, well, that doesn't really count, you know, towards your numbers. And I don't want to say raised or growing up, we're sort of in an environment in geography where that is being challenged. Yeah, I think especially in our department, we have a lot of people who came to geography later in life after having pretty strong backgrounds in activism. I think in our department, particularly mm -hmm. around immigration and border issues, and so much of their work ends up getting published through places like nonprofits or public access or, you know, public media sources to sort of, you know, be engaged activist scholars. And that doesn't, that work doesn't necessarily get recognized in academia as much as it probably should. So one of the other questions actually picks up on, on a theme that I've discussed with other people on the podcast, which is related to both the kind of practice of creative geography and also how that fits into academic reward systems, which you guys have been talking about. One perspective that I got from uh, an interview with Stephen Daniels was that geographers, it maybe would be better for geographers not to try and become like practicing poets <laughs> or filmmakers, and that there's a lot of room for collaboration between artists and geographers to address themes of common interest related to place, landscape, space. But he doesn't, he's very skeptical about the idea of the geographer poet or geographer artist. And it sounds like the original approach of the journal was to invite that kind of collaboration between sort of the editors and the people who are housing the journal 
and the people submitting their poetry particularly, but that Laura, I think you also mentioned opening up those kinds of avenues for geographers themselves to take part in a more kind of creative practice. So I'm wondering what thoughts you guys have on, first of all, that question of how should creative geography be practiced? And I don't necessarily think it's an either-or type question. Um, The other interview I did recently was with Soren Larson and Matt Jacobson from Missouri, who've done work with ethnographic fiction. And they pointed out that in that case, the kind of literary practice actually grows out of the academic practice. So it's not as if a geographer and anthropologist is moving into some foreign territory when they attempt to to do that kind of creative work. So I, I don't think there's necessarily an either-or question, but I do think that Stephen Daniels raises an interesting issue about where people's skills and capabilities lie and how these this kind of work might best be done. I mean, there there's no reason that a geographer can't be an artist. And, and let that art inform their work as geographers and vice versa. Yeah, like we have someone in our department who, who does eco-poetics, and I don't think that you have to, I certainly don't think he would say that you have to wear one hat, that on one day he's a geographer and on one day he's a poet. Um, that, oh, that's Eric Magrain, who's also in the issue. And I kind of think that, in a way, the issue that we have right now is more collaborative than previous issues because we have the different types of voices kind you know in conversation and that they're in the same collection together so we didn't make you know one of the things in organizing it was do we have a section where it's academic articles and a section where it's you know poems and a section where it's uh, videos or photos And we were like, no, we want to really look at how these different people engaged in different themes and not categorize them as, oh, the academics will only be interested in reading what, you know, I just want to see what Sean Houston said, or I just want to see what David Clark said. And so let's just lump those all together so they can look at that stuff and let's leave the other stuff behind. I think that, you know, to really have a collaborative conversation, you have to know a little bit about each side. I think that's right. I mean, I would preface this by saying I probably couldn't write a good poem to save my life, right? Which is probably why I went into academia instead of art. But I think that that Laura's right. There's no particular reason why you can't be an academic and an artist. I was thinking about, you know, if you go to the AAG and they have the photo competitions. Mm-hmm. or And I think the whole spirit of that is not just to have a competition, but... Because people put a lot of work and effort and creative thought into the images they produce or the way that they want to portray the things that they do, you know, visually or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, the work of geography is, I mean, it's a representation, which is a creative act. Geography is just earth writing. And to think that writing is somehow some objective and neutral thing that's not creative. I mean, we're already in a creative field it just we don't call it that right and then all of those texts if it's a a poem or an academic piece or a piece of fiction like a novel right they're all open to all sorts of creative interpretations there's no you know there's something i think really problem about academic work has this positivist sort of like epistemology to it where 
there's no sort of openness or creativity within that writing process, right? Since you're both PhD students, what's your perspective on kind of artistic work or creative work as it might relate to your desires for an academic career, right? In other words, do you feel like there's enough of a moment in geography where there will be faculty lines and then tenure and promotion opportunities? Or do you think that, you know, are you focusing more right now on more traditional kinds of academic outputs in order to build your record and then maybe consider developing some other interests? I mean, just how do you see that question from from where you are now as graduate students? I would say that we're definitely, you know, in terms of the academic hierarchy that we're talking about, you know, whether you're going onto the market or you're trying to get tenure, you know, we're kind of at the bottom of that totem pole. So we really do have to be strategic and play by, you know, sort of the rules that are how they're defined for us. So I definitely, I don't, I want to speak for Shelby, but I would say we're definitely expected to have a lot of well-placed journal publications by the time we're out. And while this, you know, You Are Here was really fun and it did have a lot of professional development components to it in terms of learning that editing process and the, you know, communication with scholars in our field, I don't really think that, you know, this in particular is not going to boost my potential to be hired ever. I do want to, at some point, would like to do, like, I would like to use video in my dissertation research and I hope that someday I'll be, you know, I'll be able to use that as a method and that someone would consider that to be of value. But I think that if I have that skill, that it will be in addition, that'll be, a, you know, oh, and this is a bonus that she is familiar with, you know, this sort of video aspect, which, you know, future grad students are going to be interested in. But that will be very much just in addition to the, to the top, top-ranking journal publications. Right. No, I totally agree with that. Although I do feel like I've sort of seen a bit of a shift, at least in our department, with the way that creative media has actually been used in undergraduate classes as a tool for teaching, which I think is really great. You know, Sally Marston teaches a class of urban political economy through watching The Wire, mm-hmm. right? Or Eric Mograin, who was published in our journal, is teaching a summer class where they actually look at place by traveling through the Southwest and looking at art exhibits. Or I've seen a lot of people, I assign novels sometimes in poetry in my classes as, a, as sort of an emotional or affective way to really convey thinking about social science outside of things like statistics and data and historical events, right? So you think that even if it's not necessarily, there's not a tenure track line being opened up for a creative, eco-poetic film geographer or something, although that would be great, that using those tools is actually a really important medium and way of sort of, I think, being dedicated as not just being a researcher, but, you know, as a teacher, through, like, pedagogy, right? Mm -hmm. And those classes are ones that are getting some of the highest enrollments in our department right now. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for being able to to engage a large group of undergrads, and I think creative means are a great way to do that. 
it's kind of interesting because Matt and Soren had similar kinds of responses. So Soren is an associate professor, but he's only now starting to incorporate the ethnographic fiction techniques into his work. So after he sort of felt secure, and Matt was a master's student at Missouri, and he's contemplating, you know, his future academic career. And he definitely, like you guys, sort of felt like if that's what he wants to do, he needs to establish a sort of traditional publishing record. But at the same time, they also felt like their graduate program was sort of increasingly open to inviting people in who wanted to do different kinds of creative and expressive work and not just work that would fit into traditional scientific modes. But, you know, that might also just be an artifact of, you know, where both of these departments are and what role they play in producing the graduate students they produce. But it just, it's kind of an interesting comparison between the two programs, just talking to them and then talking to you. Yeah, and you kind of hope that those graduate programs will uh, continue to be strong and continue to offer those those opportunities and not feel any you know not feel too much pressure about bringing in the only the kinds of students that they know are going to get big big grants or you know are really going to boost their reputation in some sort of scientific aspect of the field that they'll which I think are are we're lucky in our program that the people that do the more creative stuff are sort of sheltered or you know they're kept safe amongst the the people that really do that that big grant getting and that big that big science with the capital S. So if I understood your earlier comment the the difficulty with this issue was getting the the contributions from geographers that you still were getting contributions on the theme of montage from some of the kinds of people who normally submit to the journal, or or was that also kind of a challenge? Well, no. So what what happened was we sent it out through the normal channels. So, you know, we took on the editorship, and we sort of stepped into this role, and, you know, then we're kind of looking around like, okay, what's next? Like, because there really is not a lot of mentorship on how this you know, how each editor takes it on. And so we sent it out to the normal channels and, you know, we waited a month or two and we're looking at our submissions and saying, you know, this isn't really what, like when I thought of this topic and I got really excited about montage and these possibilities of, I wanted people to show me like, what is the possibility of this topic and how can we, how can it be used to express, you know, more than what we typically think. I was like, this is not, these submissions are not what what I had in mind. And so that's when we just thought, well, let's, you know, let's go to people that are really looking at this topic. And so that's when we started, you know, sending out emails to you and to Dole and Clark and Stuart Aitken and, you know, just everyone, anyone that's in geography that's shown any interesting media and creative geography and in that sense, once we started hitting the geographers in particular, I think we got a pretty good return rate of people that wanted to participate. You know, we left the expectations sort of low and said, you can do as much or as little as we want, but, you know, we would just really like to hear what you think. Like, what what does this intersection of montage and geography, what does it say to you? And then people got to sort of choose how much or how little work they put into it. So 
I emailed Jason Dittmer and he responded probably the same day with his essay and just said, how's this? And I'm like, well, all right, that's great. You know, thanks. And then I had other people, you know, who I'm in conversation with for, you know, a year saying, all right, you know, don't worry about it. Like, just get it to me when you can. And they're trying to work it in with their other things. And they're really, you know, giving it a lot of time and attention. And that's not saying that either of those pieces, one where someone really spent a lot of time working on it and one where they were able to turn it around really quick or any lesser or more in quality but just the this outlet because it is so flexible was able to accommodate a lot of different time constraints so even the even the super busy academic can find a little space to you know put put some comments down i think one thing we noticed was um we were getting submissions for you are here before we had even put out the call I think oh, that yeah. for a lot of people, it's sort of on their list of places they could possibly get a poem or a photo published every year. And we would get, I mean, we would get PDF documents of 20 poems, right? Yeah, and, and they're just, just like, pick of, one, pick one. And it really, yeah. It made us feel like, so... Did you even you, read? And, you know... Right, or you took the 10 best poems that you had or the 10 best photos and said, well... Hopefully, one of them kind of fits the theme, and if not, I'm sending it to 10 other literary journals. Yeah, and I don't really think I like that style of, I mean, I guess that that's in the literary field, maybe that's how it's done, but I wasn't too impressed with that kind of like, here, just take something. And I think that was that was a little bit of part of why we were dismayed at first when we started getting submissions. Although I do think we did get some really great ones that put a lot of thought yeah, into what Montage is. Yeah, I don't want to dismiss them all, but yeah. And I think a lot of the ones that we got that really tried to fit the theme weren't even necessarily traditional sort of artistic mediums. You know, it was someone who, like the the one who was an architectural design person, or there was a man who had found a box of old photos in his father's oh, yeah. house from when he passed, and he had started taking various images of his father and where he'd grown up and juxtaposing them. And he said, well, you know, to me, this is montage. They're not next to each other, but you can see all sorts Which, of... Yeah. You can see a whole history. I mean, it was more like a, a collage, I think. Uh -huh. But, I mean, I guess in some ways it's semantics, right? Yeah. But those were really great, and they weren't necessarily the kind of traditional submissions you are here usually got. So we did get some really creative ones. So you kind of hinted at this earlier, but how, how does working on this journal sort of fit in with your larger research interests and, um, you know, where you want your academic work to go? Well, um, for me, this was really a great professional development opportunity because it allowed me to... One, I just got to do this whole editing process, which I think is a key activity that a lot of academics engage in, which is doing special issues in journals or editing book collections or just, you know, certain types of curating of materials and thinking through that whole putting out a call, finding the ones that you like, doing a, you know, a sort of peer review and then trying to think about, you know, what is the narrative that I'm going to tell with all of these? 
So that process in itself was, I found to be really helpful. And then second, it was really, it really fit into my work, obviously, because I, I consider myself a film geographer. And the choice to contact all of these people doing film and media geography really helped open up just my conversation with people that are doing the kinds of things that I do and just making people aware of, you know, who I am, what my interests are. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty invaluable because you can go your whole graduate career and no one, no one knows your name and you don't, you know, it's just fun to really finally be in conversation with the people that you've been reading all these years. And then finally you get to, you get to say, you know, I really like your work. I really like what you're doing with this. And I really want to hear your thoughts on some other stuff. And I want to hear what you think about my thoughts on a certain issue. And then otherwise, just the content. The content is really, you know, just right up into what I'm doing on film and media geography. I barely knew that film geography was even a subset of geography until Laura and I started working together. Um, my own work is mostly on immigration and urban redevelopment. And I think for me, what working on your here has helped me to do is to actually think about all of these other themes that contribute to, to sort of subject formation or how it is that we think about the world and place, right? So when I'm doing some field work in Ohio and Dayton this summer, you're thinking about things like, well, what does that graffiti art on the side of the road in this particular immigrant, na immigrant neighborhood tell me about the place and sort of what's going on? And I think that for me, it's been really helpful to think about, as I mentioned before, teaching and particularly getting undergrad students at like the 100 and 200 level interested in thinking about things like geography critically you know so not just saying geographers think about space or place is socially constructed you know memorize that for a test but to get them to think go to a park or go to a new place and sit around and think about how would you describe it what does it mean to you how does it change and I think using mediums like photography and poems is a really good way to get at that so that's really where I found it to be most productive for me. Yeah, so I think that I think that's I think that's all I've got. So again, thanks for for taking some time to talk to me about the issue and about particularly some of the larger questions about academia and and creative work. Yeah, thanks for having us. This yeah. was great to talk to you about. Yeah, this is really great. Thank you. For a link to the journal or to learn more about Lauren Shelby's work, visit the Placing Culture Tumblr page, placingculture.tumblr.com. You can find episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud under my name, Sean Houston, S-H-A-U-N-H-U-S-T-O-N, or on iTunes. You can also stay updated with the podcast by following at Placing Culture on Twitter.